You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. And we are recording this show about eight hours before the first pitch of the 2018 World Series, Dodgers and Red Sox. And as you can imagine, we are extremely excited about that. Two of the three or so best teams in baseball, I would think. Two of the all-time classic franchises in baseball meeting for the first time since 1916. Um, I'm super excited. I don't know how to pick a winner for this. We'll get to that in a second. But here's where I want to start. Right? We're going to get to a couple of things. We're going to get to, should Mookie Betts play second base? We're going to get to whether or not they can actually hit lefty pitching. But where I want to start quickly is, are these teams that different? right? The 108-win Red Sox, the 92-win Dodgers. That feels like a big gap, and it actually is. That's the third largest gap in World Series history uh, of, of two teams with their win differentials. So in 1906, the 116-win Cubs played the 93-win White Sox. That's 23 wins. In 1932, the 107-win Yankees played the 90-win Cubs, difference of 17 wins. So this is tied with a couple others uh, for the largest gap in wins between two different World Series teams. So Matt, hello. Are these teams that different? Because I feel like those win totals are somewhat misleading. Yeah, totally. I think that like the idea that the the Dodgers are sort of like yes, I think like they're they're there's there's to me they're I guess probably slight underdogs. You know, they don't have home field, yada yada. But like to me, these are very evenly matched teams, and yeah. it's it's not. I mean, look at run differential. You know, the Dodgers were plus one ninety four which was by far the best in the National League. Third in the majors. So um, Astros were number one, Red Sox number two, Dodgers were number three. So to me, that they're, they're, they're much closer than those records would indicate. The Dodgers got off to a weird, uneven start. They had a couple of like kind of ruts in the season, but then they made some changes. They kind of went to this really like pretty nifty platoon setup. They've got a lot of depth. Uh, Jansen seems to be back to himself. <clears throat> So this is this is a fantastic World Series match. I'm very excited about it, and I come bearing stats. Um, as as we said, you know they were both top three in run differential. They were tied as as hitters uh, for second behind the Yankees in percentage of barrels. Barrels being the best thing you can do. They were tied for number two with the Yankees. Expected weighted on base. They were both top five. Actual weighted on base. They were both top three. Uh, from the pitching side, they were top ten in expected weighted on base. Top ten in weighted on base, and top seven. Both of them were in hard hit percentage. And if you do something fancy, if you go to Fangraphs and you look at the metric they have called base runs, uh, which is far more complicated than I'm going to get into here, but think about it this way. They're trying to get to the true talent, uh, stripping out sequencing and just getting to like the actual pitcher versus hitter matchup and defense and everything. The Astros were the best team in baseball this year at 103 expected wins. Dodgers number two at 101 and Red Sox at 99. Now, part of the reason the Dodgers did not get to 101 wins is because they were somewhat historically unclutched this season, like really just truly bad in high leverage situations. That's not predictive of anything, but it is a thing that happened, and that's part of what hurt their uh, their win total. So they underperformed by a lot. The Red Sox overperformed by a lot. And when it all comes down to it, I don't know how you look at this series and don't say this is going seven games. Uh, I think that's probably, I mean, of the possible games it could go, four, five, six, or seven, I would say seven is the most likely, but, you know, 
Nothing surprises me. I would have not thought the Astros Red Sox would go five games no, play that much. For sure. I do want to share this stat from Jason Stark, which I thought was awesome. Uh, the the Fenway Park and Dodger Stadium matchup, it's going to be the oldest World Series stadium duo ever. Fenway Park since 1912, Dodger Stadium since 1962. We've never had a World Series featuring two older stadiums. This is, of course, biased to the present day as time moves in a linear fashion. And you couldn't have done these things in like 1948, but it's still a fact. And it's true. And in game one, we're going to have Chris Sale... And we're going to have Clayton Kershaw. And for all the talk we've had about bullpenning and relievers, that's a pretty classic <laughs> matchup of aces. And I kind of feel, I guess, better about it than I would have a couple of weeks ago where, like, you know, Chris Sale missed most of the second half. And we've been talking about Kershaw's declining velocity. Well, Kershaw looked really good. Two of his three starts in the postseason were great. One, not so much. Uh, you know, Sale is back and is apparently not sick anymore. That was a whole weird story. Uh if you just look at the name value, this to me is one of the best pitching matchups in a game one I think I can remember. Yesterday, actually, uh, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times tweeted this out, and it it sort of got me thinking about it. He tweeted out, Sale versus Kershaw has to be the best matchup to open a World World Series this decade. Other best of decade, decade game one matchups, uh, Gullet versus Teant in 75, McLean versus uh, sorry, Denny... Danny McGregor? I don't even know. <laughs> no, no, Scott McGregor. Scott, Baltimore, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Max Hershiser, 95. Messina Schilling, 2001. And pretty much every game won in the 60s. True, because obviously in the 60s before the division, like it was pretty easy to line up your aces for game one. Now, I would think since the wild card, it would make it that much harder to get your aces lined up in game one. So I assume that what he said was correct. But in actuality, in recent years, World Series game ones have had some really – Good matchups. Last year we had Lester Kluber. Uh, no, last year Sorry, Kershaw. Last year, Keiko. Kershaw Keiko last year. Before that, Lester Kluber, Harvey Volquez, eh, Bumgarner Shields. Well, at the time, Harvey was an ace. Yes. Okay. And at the time, Bumgarner Shields, Shields was still big game James. Whatever that was worth. That actually wasn't so. That actually was a pretty good matchup at the time. Yeah. Um, Lester Wainwright in 2013. God, you remember the Verlander Zito from 2012? And that was when Zito was already kind of falling apart. And he comes out and he just like twirls his master. I, I was at that game. It was a game where Pablo Zanibal hit uh, three home runs. Oh, my God. That's um, right. And you had Chris Carpenter versus CJ Wilson in 2011. Eh. Cliff Lee versus Tim Lincecum. That's in, a good one. In 2010. Cliff Lee versus CeCe Sabathia in 2009, which is, to me, is really good. I've probably like kind of forgotten. I sometimes think Cliff Lee might be a little underrated just because. Oh, quick, absolutely! How quickly the demise came. He, he, you know, he reinvented the, himself, and then he fell off quickly. But that like five year peak. It's the number of teams too. I really feel like guys like Gary Sheffield, Kevin Brown, guys who can't stick on a team for more than ten minutes. There's some sort of like implicit bias because you don't just like think of him as oh that guy was a Yankee, you know. But yeah, but Kershaw starting back to back World Series game one, last pitcher to do that was. Cliff Lee. I think that like Cliff Lee, in my mind, is going to go down. I think it's a great point you make about him switching teams. He's going to go back, go down as one of the most underrated pitchers in history. Um, in terms of peak value, he was like, I'm. He was the best pitcher in the game for a while. Yeah, you you have this list of game one starters going back to like the early 2000s. I went back to 2001, Schilling yeah. Messina, because I think that's sort of like that's a great one. That's probably the, maybe that may be the best ever. 2006, Justin Verlander and Anthony Reyes, who I. Vaguely remember pitching. That was the first time two rookies ever started a game one. Uh, Anthony Reyes that year was 5-8 and eight with a 5.06 ERA. It was the first time in 33 years a pitcher with a losing regular season record started a game one. He didn't even make the roster for the NLDS. That's neither here nor there. I just found that fascinating. Like, that's how you start a World Series. 
And they won. <laughs> yeah. Anthony Ray is now a firefighter in L.A. County. So he's had quite an uh, interesting post-baseball career. Yeah. So anyway, as you can imagine, we are extremely excited about this upcoming World Series. Uh, and to me, there's a couple of things that stand out. One is this idea that Mookie Betts might actually play some second base. And that's when the series goes back to Los Angeles. If you're not familiar with the reasoning why, it's because there's obviously no designated hitter in the National League ballpark. And J.D. Martinez, as you may be aware, is awesome. He's like, I don't know, the third best hitter in baseball, give or take. I feel like you can't play a game without J.D. Martinez in the lineup. Uh, the thing is that the Red Sox have a very good outfield. They've got Betts and Bradley and Ben Attendi, and J.D. Martinez doesn't play any first base. So you have to get him in the outfield. And that means one of those guys has to sit or be moved. And I guess the uh, idea here is that in game three, this is possibly the best time to do it because this is the way the Dodger rotation probably lines up, right? In game three, you're going to have Walker Bueller, who's a righty. Uh, Rich Hill likely to start game four, who's a lefty. Kershaw probably coming back for game five. Uh, Also lefty, I think they've already said they will not bring him back on short rest for a potential game four. So versus those two lefties, Hill in game four and Kershaw in game five, seems pretty easy to me. You bench Jackie Bradley, right? Jackie Bradley cannot hit lefties this year. Uh, 260 on base, 303 slugging, not so great. Mookie Betts can play center. Martinez can play right. Martinez is not a very good outfielder, but he's not an unplayable outfielder. He's poor, I guess is the way I would say it. But against the righty, now think about this. You have three different options, I think, against the righty, right? Uh, You could simply just not start J.D. Martinez, right? And then you would have Brock Holt probably at second base, Bradley in center, Betts in right. That's fine. You could bench Jackie Bradley, and you could just put Martinez in right, and you could put Betts in center. Simple. Or you could go wild. You could bench both Brock Holt and Ian Kinsler, who are playing second base in the previous scenarios. Betts in center, Bradley, excuse me, Betts at second, Bradley in center, and Martinez at right. And that's just so much fun to think about. Now, remember, Mookie Betts has played six innings at second base this year, coming in as an injury replacement on August 3rd. Otherwise, he's played uh, second, he hasn't played second base since his rookie season in 2014, where he made 14 starts. But in the minors, he played almost 2,000 innings at second base. So this is not a completely foreign, you know, we're going to have Xander Bogart's catch or something like that. He has a lot of experience there. You love this idea, I can tell. I could not love this idea more. <laughs> to me, it is the the is an absolute no-brainer that the Red Sox should do this. Like, to me, it's, really? it is a no-brainer to do I'm, this. I'm in favor of them doing it, but I don't think it's a no-brainer. But I, go ahead, tell me why it's a no-brainer. I, I mean, I just think Mookie Betts is, is a ridiculous athlete. A ridiculous play. I think he's just that good. And you watch him in the outfield. We've seen him. You saw that play where he threw out um, Tony Kemp at second base. Yes. Where he sprints to the to the right field line, scoops up the ball off the ground, spins and fires a rocket to second base. You're telling me that guy can't field grounders and play second base competently. A guy who's played it the position almost his entire baseball life. My favorite part about that play is so the next day during pregame warmups, Tony Kemp goes out to, you know, cog Mookie Betts, say, hey, whatever. And they're out in right field. And Tony Kemp was apparently trying to imitate that exact play from <laughs> right field that got him thrown out. And I mean, look look around the game. You know, you've got the the Dodgers have played Mac, Max Muncy at second base. The Brewers just kind of tossed Travis. Oh, I, I come bearing receipts here. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know if Mookie Betts is a good second baseman he's probably not i think maybe even calling him average is probably too much to ask at this point but to your point just now i looked this up players who played at least 10 games at second base this year include max muncie travis shaw daniel murphy 
Matt, uh, Matt Carpenter and Yuli Gurriel, right? None of these guys would be considered plus second baseman. And even not even just playing second base, there was a game in the NLCS where Mike Moustakas was third baseman, but he was shifted at second base. They had a really nice diving play. And I think that's kind of the direction the game is going, where if you can say Travis Shaw will competently play second base, if you can still put Daniel Murphy, who is probably the weakest defensive second baseman in baseball at second base, I don't see how you cannot think that Mookie Betts can handle it. And I also think if you did, it's unlikely anything sticks for nine innings. Double switches are going to happen. This is the National League ballpark. He's going to end up in the outfield at some point. So it's like, what do you want your lineup to be for the first, I don't know, six innings? Exactly. And this is why I think it's 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 an obvious choice and why they've... I think the fact they're already floating it and talking about it, they've just been setting the stage to do this. And I part of the reason I love this game, this is part of like the whole thing, is part of the reason... Originally, people were thinking Bueller was going to start game two. And I sort of feel like the Dodgers pushed it back to force the Red Sox to make this decision, which I think is a backfire. Because to me, the way, the way I look at these decisions is like this, right? If you were the Dodgers, what do you? what is your preferred situation? Is your preferred situation Bueller on the mound, Mookie Betts at second, and Bradley in center? Or do you prefer Brock Holt at second, Betts at center? Well, no, because yeah. it would be Kinsler probably, because Ryu would start game two. No, but my, my point is simply like, if you're forcing this decision in game three, right? Yeah. It's because they're one of two possible outcomes, one of which is forcing the Red Sox to play second. And if I'm Dave Roberts, I'd be like, shoot, I wish they hadn't done that. And if that's what you think Dave Roberts' reaction is going to be, then you know you're making the right decision. I, I, it's like, whenever people ask about, oh, should someone have bunted there? My reaction is always, do you think the other team was happy about that? Then like, don't do that. You yeah. know, that's like, this all does kind of come down a little bit to the fact that the Red Sox second baseman are really, really weak. You wouldn't consider doing this if you had an average second baseman. Uh, Ian Kinsler is completing his second straight below average offensive year. Still a good defender. Uh, this year he hit 240, 301 on base, 380 slugging percentage. There were 20 qualified second basemen. His weighted runs created plus of 87 was 18th. That's not great. As a, as a team, Red Sox second baseman, 252, they 308 on base and they 350 slugging. That is the third worst of the 30 teams in baseball. Mostly Kinsler, but uh, also Eduardo Nunez, who has just looked atrocious this postseason. I can't imagine he's going to play there. Uh, and also Brock Holt, who we talked about last week. Didn't hit much this year, but then really started to hit the last couple weeks of the season. So I think that really opens the door because you don't want to have one of those guys hitting and J.D. Martinez on the bench. Like I've really come to the idea there is no scenario where J.D. Martinez being a pinch hitter is a good scenario for you. I will eat the defense to get him in the lineup. For sure. You have to. Yeah, no, and he has he has enough experience out there, not to mention the fact that no matter what, he's going to be playing alongside an elite center fielder, because I think Betts oh, yeah. is an elite center fielder if he has to play center. I agree. So, like, that can help comp- – and, and a very good left fielder, Manatene. So, very, either way, you're like – you almost can, like, help compensate, uh, you know, the, the old Kelly Leak defense. You can kind of compensate and have those guys kind of cover a little bit for – for Martinez. So I, I ran some numbers on these three different possibilities that I, I talked about at first, right? And these numbers I'm going to present here are just against right-handed pitchers because that's what's going to happen. Dodgers will bring in lefties. Things will change. Uh, the first possibility of Holt at second, Bradley at center, Betts in right field, Martinez on the bench. Uh, for the season, they had a 134 weighted runs created plus, slightly better in the second half because both Bradley and Holt started to hit. But anyway, 134, where 100 is league average. That's really good. Mookie Betts is going to be the MVP. A lot of that is Mookie Betts. The second scenario, uh, where you bench Bradley and you slide Martinez into right and Betts to center, 160 weighted runs created plus. That's better because now you've replaced Bradley with Martinez. The third scenario now where Betts is playing second and Holt isn't playing at all, Bradley, Martinez in the outfield, 
a 154 weighted runs created plus, uh, identical for the first half or the entire season and the second half. So it's very clear you have to have Martinez in. And what that says to me is the cho- the choice is really this: Do you want Holt playing, or do you want Bradley playing? Right? They're both lefty hitters. Uh, obviously, the defense there is a, is a big difference. And I don't know that I really care that much offensively between those two. I don't think I do. Right? Uh, so I think it comes down entirely to how much I care about the defense. Do you care about the bat of Holt? Versus the bat of Bradley against a right a righty pitcher. Um, it's a great question. I guess it also makes me think about like I mean they both be pinch hitting, so it, it, it doesn't really matter. The the they would both be used against a right-handed reliever, so the bench, yeah, the, they'll get the, the makeup of your bench would still be the same. That's a really good question. Um, I like I, it's a tie to me because they both had very similar seasons where they didn't get off to a good start and they both have been hitting a lot better. So it's sort of six one. You know I don't care that much. And but what I if it does come down to the defense. Um, what I wanted to know was, okay, how how much defense is this going to matter, right? And obviously, I know, you know, we're talking about season-long numbers, and all it takes is one big play where you turn a single into a triple and you screw the whole game. But uh, in 2018, Boston's second baseman this year uh, received a fielding chance once every 2.6 innings, you know? So call it three times a game. I know that many different things could happen in a game. You could have double plays. You could have strikeouts. I get it. Uh, Boston right fielders had a chance once every four innings, and chances are somewhat influenced by the fact that Mookie Betts can get two balls and create an error or a putout, and so that's fine. But my point is, these are not likely to be positions where you're going to get a ball hit to you every single inning, except baseball is very stupid sometimes, and you know you're going to get a ball hit to these guys every single inning. That's the risk. Um, So, to me, I think if we're only talking about two-thirds of the game, probably, before you start moving pieces around and the offensive upgrade is enormous, you have to do this, I think. Um, but I guess I can also see the argument for you know just having Bradley on the bench, too, and keeping Betts in center. I just I think that Bradley is, is kind of a lynch... Well, I completely trust Betts in, in center. I think Bradley's kind of a linchpin to their defense in the outfield, and you want his glove in the lineup. So that's why I think they're good. Why I think they should start bets. So what we agree on is you have to start JD Martinez, and under no scenario should you have Ian Kinsler in the lineup. Correct. Okay. Uh, if this happens, by the way, and I got this from Ian Brown, who is our MLB.com Red Sox reporter, I thought this was interesting. Uh, this would be one of the very few times in Major League history that you would have someone starting at a position that they had not started at for the entire season. We did see it two years ago. If you remember, Carlos Santana got into two World Series games starting in left field for the Indians after having been a DH all season long. That was the first time that had happened since 1931. And this could be the second time it happened. Uh, so this is going to be a World Series, I think, that's going to be very much about history. I assume we're going to see primitive video footage of Babe Ruth in like 1916. I don't know what exists, uh, but that would be kind of cool to think if that happens. So here's my next question. You are going to hear a lot about lefty pitching in this series. And part of that is because the first two games should be entirely started by lefties, right? Kershaw sale in game one, Ryu versus Price in game two. Uh, The Dodgers also have Scott Alexander, Alex Wood, and Julio Arias in the bullpen, plus Rich Hill, probably going to start a game somewhere. And the Red Sox have Eduardo Rodriguez and Drew Pomerantz, who got added to the roster. And the reason there are so many lefties is because you're going to hear these two talking points a lot. Against lefties, Dodger hitters were merely 13th in OPS and the Red Sox were 18th. Both teams were significantly better against righties, where the Dodgers were second and the Red Sox were first. Now, all of that is true. I do believe that they are better against righties than lefties. But here's my problem with a lot of these season-long stats. David Freeze wasn't on the Dodgers all year, and he crushes lefties. Steve Pierce wasn't on the Red Sox all year, and he crushes lefties. 
Logan Forsythe, who had a 239 on base percentage against lefties, was traded in July. Justin Turner, who is the fourth best hitter against lefties in baseball this year, minimum 100 plate appearances, was out for the first six weeks where Forsythe is playing third. You know, Bradley might not play against lefties, as we just talked about. So really what I'm trying to get to here is I don't know if the teams are bad against lefties because I don't know how much I care about of those early season numbers from different players who aren't going to be starting in this World Series. Uh, So I ran some numbers, and I actually... I'm kind of interested that this only half turned out the way I expected it to. What I did was I just looked at the hitters from each team who was who were on the uh, NLCS roster and the ALCS roster, and I kind of thought maybe I'd see some differences, and I did, but in totally opposite directions. If you look at the Red Sox hitters who were on the ALCS roster against left-handed pitchers this year, their full season numbers, their OPS was 721, uh, not so great. In the second half, I thought, okay, maybe guys started hitting better, uh, 702. And in just September, their OPS dropped to 692. That's bad, and it does sort of make me think that maybe that team can't actually hit lefties. The Dodgers was the exact opposite. Uh, Just the guys who were on the NLCS roster had an 824 OPS this season against lefties in the second half, 827, and in just September, 900. Uh, That is a different trend. I'm not sure how much of it, if any, is predictive, but these are different players. David Freeze exists to hit lefties, and that's what he's done. Yeah, and also the, the other the weather weird, you know, we I mentioned alluded to it earlier in the podcast how the Dodgers have this had developed this strict platoon lineup. The the one kind of weird guy in that is Puig, yeah. who has a reverse split. What do you think they'll end up doing with him? Well, I think I saw today that they're going to start Matt Kemp at DH. Uh, I guess that sort of solves which, some of that problem. Switch makes sense, and I think Freeze is going to be in the lineup somewhere. I don't know. Puig was kind of like their most interesting player, so it's it's difficult for me to think that he's going to be on the bench. For the first two games. I could see him maybe not starting one of them, but he, he's got to play. I think, you know, there's so many different options here, right? Like Enrique Hernandez probably has to play, but also Chris Taylor probably plays. The only thing I know for certain is that Jack Peterson will not start either of the first two games against left heading pitcher because he is he is truly unplayable against lefties, but he'll come in later. There's, there is no shortage of options here for really either of these guys, but I think especially Dave Roberts. Yeah, well, Roberts had an... He, I thought, in Game 7 against the Brewers, had a little bit of a weird game with his pinch hitting, and I'm curious to see how he responds uh, in this one. Like, I thought it was weird that he pinch hit for when they... Um, I'm trying to think. Who did the Brewers start in Game 7? They, they took him out. Oh, Chassin. Chassin yeah. And they brought in Hayter in the third, and they leading off the third, he pinch hit for Peterson, which I thought was a little aggressive leading off the inning, because then later in the game, they let Bueller hit, and they didn't pitch it for him, yeah. and they let Madsen hit, and it was like, there was a lot of, when, when there was, and, you know, against Hayter, he let him face Bueller, um, he let Bueller face Hayter when he ha- still had Dozier, Kemp, and uh, I think Freeze still on the bench. It was it was odd. He also brought Because yeah. then also Bueller came out after like two more batters. Yeah, well, and then he also brought in Julio Urias to face Christian Yelich. And, you know, Urias had barely pitched all year. He'd missed like an entire season with shoulder injury. And I, I think that was the ball that Chris Taylor tracked down. It was. Right? Yeah, okay. Was. So like that, you know, it worked out, I guess. But that was a, a very interesting. Now, we won't see the same type of, you know, quote unquote bullpen. Where like, you know, the, there was there was a real chess match going on with Craig Council pulling his starters earlier and trying to exploit the... Um, the Dodgers platoons. We're not. We're probably not going to see the same in this series. That said, the Dodge, the Red Sox still haven't announced their game three starter. Could be Porcello. Could be Ivaldi. But I think Dave Roberts is going to reserve the right to use either of those guys in relief, especially in game two with price pitching. I mean so, Cora. 
Sorry, Cora. Yeah, sorry about that. So I take it back, Cora. So that's another. You know, you know it's okay. You're going to see the clip of Dave Roberts stealing a base with the Red Sox 1,100 times tonight. So that's kind of another. You know that that could sort of throw a wrinkle in how these uh, these benches and bullpens are used for that. Matter. Well, I think that's a good point because uh, neither of these teams has a Josh Hader type or a 2016 Andrew Miller type, and I don't I don't really consider them to be you know traditionalists or anything, but. I think they're going to hope their aces go deep. And their their bullpens have been better than you'd expect. We talked a lot about how the Red Sox bullpen kind of struggled. They've been pretty good. The Dodger bullpen's been surprisingly good. But, you know, they've got their ace closers, who both are pitching a little bit better lately. Uh, they don't really have, like, the six-out guy who's going to come and dominate you like a Josh Hader type, uh, like some other teams have had. I think that will impact things. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking of the platoon splits, the one other thing I'm most interested in watching is David Price in Game 2. You know, he had one of his best postseason starts ever, um, in Game Five to close out the uh, the ALCS to close out the Astros, and he rediscovered his changeup. He threw thirty nine changeups in ninety three pitches. 42 percent of the time he threw his changeup, and they were good. They were good changeups, <laughs> yeah. and it makes you think like, why doesn't he throw his changeup more? You know, it was the most changeups he's thrown all season, including regular season. Um, only twice in his career has he ever thrown more changeups in a game, and it was the highest percentage of changeups he's ever thrown in a game in his career. And earlier in the postseason. You watched him throw, and he's basically throwing three variations of the fastball, which had, a, you know, when he's commanding really well, he can still be effective, but it's like all kind of on the same plane, all within yeah. like five miles an hour of each other. And it just a lot of the same look, you know? Not anything. And so if he has the, the feel for the change, it's going to, that will make a break game too. And it's going to be a cold night, so it might be a little tougher to get the feel for the change. But this is not the David Price that throws 97 anymore. He needs that change. In, the young, early, in his earlier years, he could dominate just by location and velocity. He can't do that anymore. Well, I think that is actually really interesting because if you were told, let's say, three years ago that there was going to be a World Series where Price, Kershaw, and Sale were all going to start in the first two games, you'd be like, oh my God, these are like the three best pitchers in baseball, and they're all still really good. They're not like the aces anymore. I guess they're still the aces, right? Sale had a very good year. But what I'm saying is like right now, you know, we don't know how limited Sale is going to be. Like his velocity has been kind of down. Uh, you know, Kershaw, we know his velocity is down, although he pitched very well the last time out and Price's issues are well known. So what's kind of fascinating is, you know, what what version of these guys are we going to get? You know, how are they going to pitch? Are they going to try to be the same guys when they were beasts three years ago? Or are they going to sort of lead into the version of the pitchers they are right now? And that's that's going to be a really, I think, interesting thing for me. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see um, Price throw a good start and just sort of like fight against that narrative a little bit and get finally yeah. get a win God. as a starting pitcher. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, Jay Jaffe at Fangraphs uh, put it best. There's a difference between can't pitch in the postseason and has not pitched well in the postseason. Um, and I think that's a that's a, a fine distinction to make. I don't expect Price to go deeper than five innings tomorrow, but I think there's no reason to think he can't put it put up an effective start. Frankly, I thought he was pretty effective in his first start against the Astros. He got a little bit. Like, there was like a two-run double by George yeah, Springer that was like was a you know, dinker. Think 60 miles an hour off the bat down the right field line. So, you know, he ended up giving up a two-run homer, but like – he wasn't that bad in that game. And the fourth guy is uh, Hyunjin Ryu, who had a fantastic season when he was healthy and then was terrible his last time out against the Brewers. Like, it really got lit up. So I guess the takeaway here is these four guys will all be fine unless they aren't. <laughs> That's postseason baseball for you. So uh, I guess it's prediction time. I really feel like I had some strong feelings on previous predictions. And on this one, I'm sort of like a giant shrug emoji right here. Uh, socks in seven, I guess. I don't know. I have no... Um scientific basis for this i just kind of feel like it's the dodgers time i'm going to okay dodgers in seven great i love it i don't I, it's just you know this is like very anti-statcast very anti-analytics just like it just kind of feels like it's their turn all right and so um 
uh, I'm gonna, that's that's gonna be my prediction. One thing I want to mention before we go is that uh, uh, Mike and I are gonna try and arrange a, a bit of an informal watch party for listeners uh, in the New York City area on Friday night. It'll be in Brooklyn. A location still to be determined because we want to find a place that we know will have the game on a big screen, um, which could be tough with the Knicks and Warriors also playing that night somehow. Um, <laughs> but it will be in Brooklyn, probably near Barclays Center. We'll, we'll sort of firm it up on Twitter and tweet it out on Friday during the day. And, um, you know, Mike and I will be there, so we'll enjoy watching the game no matter what. Hopefully some other people will uh, come out and join us. I look forward to it. Uh, this is our show. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Enjoy the World Series, everybody. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.